Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Stocks for beginners. Phil Muscatello and Finpods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. And over time, if you dollar cost average and then you dividend reinvest, it's not quick money, but it's money. It's real money. It's there. It's putting the money to work. It's those dollars that you have in excess and they make other dollars because your dollars have to do that because you can't just not only can you not save your way to wealth, you can't even save your way to safety. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Remember Gen X? How did this generation fall between the cracks of the boomers and the millennials? And how can women take control of their money and become entrepreneurial? Joining me to chat is Bitcoiner, financial educator and podcaster, Daphne Jones. Hello, Daphne. Hey, Phil. How's it going? Good, good. And thank you very much for the pep talk um, before we started recording. (laughs) You're welcome. Daphne Jones, the smart money chick, is helping Gen X women design their version of financial independence. She believes that through investing and entrepreneurship, Gen X women can grow their wealth. So tell us about your story and how you became interested in money and wealth. I guess I was your average, was raised basically to go to work, you know, keep your nose clean, finish college, get a good job, right? So I followed that advice. I took a little detour. I went in the military and things were going pretty well. It was working out like mom and dad said it would. I uh, got married and we were two pretty decent income earners, or so we thought, solidly middle class. But then you, you find out what middle class really means. What we were were well-paid workers. I developed an illness and I couldn't work anymore. So that was a big shock to the system, right? And then we rolled into 08 and uh, the other half of the team, my husband, lost his position. And man, you you want to see a little panic. Watch two wage earners when there's no wages anymore. So you really get a chance to see when that happens, you, you get to see who's swimming naked and you get to look at your mistakes because, you know, a paycheck, biweekly, monthly, doesn't matter. It's a mulligan. It's a, it's a salve on any financial mistakes you make because you get a fresh infusion of cash. So you're proudly a Gen Xer. Why do you describe yourself as a Gen Xer and um, why have you become invisible? <laughs> well, one thing is our size, is the, the size of the cohort. Yeah, it's a very small, it's a very small cohort, isn't it? Yeah, yes, yeah. we come right behind that massive cohort of boomers that just changed the world mm. because of their sheer size. And boomer wasn't just a US phenomenon. It was, wor- it was a worldwide phenomenon. Mm. I think the only folks that no, nobody skipped it. Nobody skipped it. Even the countries that had that took a that took it on the chin in World War II. Every the boomer cohort is worldwide and it was massive. They changed everything, particularly earning a wage, because it was so many of them. They held uh, wage growth down simply because of their their size. Here in the States, we were predominantly latchkey kids. Education changed a bit and we were small. And we caught the brunt of economic change. You know, mom's going to work. We hit several major recessions. You also had just worldwide changes economically with the industrial base leaving the U.S. 
because that's what built the middle class here in the U.S. was unionized labor. Well, those jobs went overseas during our time period. We were adults when the Internet came in. So we, we took a lot of changes. And yeah, and I think it's also a matter of the, like you were saying, the, the economic shocks during the 70s, you know, the oil shocks and inflation and stagnation mm-hmm. and um, urban decay, and as you referred to, that all happened for the Gen X cohort as they were growing up, didn't it? Right, right. And then we ran smack into the 80s when we were entering young adulthood a major wrong in the economic ladder here in the States was leaving, which was manufacturing. We went from a manufacturing economy to a service one. And that caught a lot of us basically off guard because at that point you really had to go to college. There was a time period where you really needed to go to college. We, we kind of got caught in the switches there because here in the States, the dollar became less. It's never that things went up in value. It's that the dollar just didn't purchase as much. The death nail was when Nixon finally took it off the gold standard in 72. So what are the particular issues that women have with money that uh, may be a bit different from the male cohort? One is the, the earning factor. Of course, it is not legal in most Western nations to pay women less for the same job. But women choose different jobs. Then you add in the big determiner of women's earning capacity, children. And it's women that primarily care for the children if there turns out to be any issues with aging parents. So your work history is interfered with, your ability to move up the corporate ladder. In relation, particularly in marriages, it's still still gender-based. Then you're part of a team and there has to be a discussion about the money, how we're going to invest it, things of that nature. Are you really focused on it? And in many cases, women aren't. And that's where the problems can start, isn't it? And um, is that many women don't take an interest in these financial issues until it's possibly too late. Well, something has occurred where they had to take an interest. Mm. Again, you don't want to make a blanket statement. From what I saw when I was actually selling insurance, because I'm a recovering life insurance agent, interest wasn't taken until something happened, particularly in married couples, when the husband became ill or actually died. There are still marriages out there where they just don't know where the money is. Or you have some cases where it was all in one fund and they don't know exactly what's going on with it. Or they were in two separate, they did have two separate accounts and they found out maybe his wasn't going as well as they thought. So it's, it's communication and actually focusing on the money. So what are some of the first steps? I mean, you're a, a communicator and an educator. What are some of the first steps that you suggest women do take, uh, practical steps? The first thing is to actually know where the money's going. Take time out because you're not going to do what's too difficult. Dave Ramsey mentioned something and it works pretty well. It's actually at the beginning of the month, spend all the money on paper and make sure that what you're writing down is actual, is factual. And it's a living thing. You might say, oh, well, no, I'm not going to eat out. I'm not going to do this. Remember that it's a, that the budget should be a living thing and something that you're actually going to keep up with. And maybe not even use the word budget, but to actually get a grip on where the money's going. Because there's software that can do this for you. Uh, Many banks offer it for free. You can go download some things like Mint and other places and actually see where you're spending. And then to start making a decision about how you want to put your money to work. Because this is something you have to decide of, of how you're going to go about that. And then start educating yourself. You can start off with some basic books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, The Millionaire Next Door. You can keep it simple. 
but you have to have a rudimentary education. I'm not saying you have to be like the day trader that you're sitting up here with multiple screens and you're watching your money X hours a day. That's not what I'm saying. But you do have to make the decision that the excess dollars you earn, and that's a that's a big point right there, because you can't save if you don't make enough money, because that's right behind keeping focus on your money. You have to get your income up. And the majority of people in the West are workers. They trade time for dollars, whether it's standard employment or if it's contract in some way, they trade time for dollars. So you get these dollars and that's what you're going to have to build your wealth on. You have to pay attention to what you're doing with them. Well, look, let's get on to Bitcoin because you describe yourself as a Bitcoiner. Why, why do you describe yourself as such? Because I, I uh, purchase Bitcoin. I'm what they call a, a hodler. I, I buy and hold. Mm-hmm. I don't trade or stake. And I'm exclusive into Bitcoin. Yep. So often you'll hear people say crypto and say Bitcoin. I'm not into crypto. The various coins that are invented. I'm a Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bitcoin is truly decentralized, which means that no one is is in control of Bitcoin. The basic software Bitcoin has not changed since uh, Satoshi released it over a decade or so ago. And as Bitcoin is the originator of the blockchain. So we can see every transaction from the first transaction. So it's very transparent. The growth of Bitcoin, it's now, you have the ability to start to spend it. That's improving. And my next favorite thing right behind decentralization, no government controls it, decentralization. There's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. The individuals who may have some control of the code, first of all, you'd have to get literally millions of people to agree to inflate the number of Bitcoin. And if you did that, you would devalue the Bitcoin that you do have. So no one would want to do that. So that, that's the beauty of Bitcoin. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Then in terms of uh, more traditional forms of investing, what sort of investing do you um, follow? Well, what the, the market is great. I am pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. I do um, dividend producing stocks and uh, cash flowing real estate is another one. Mm-hmm. Texas is a great place to do that because we have uh, low regulation, uh, no rent control. And we got a lot of land in Texas. Whenever we need more space, we just move the cows over and build. I, I call it my money mix. It's a well-paying career. Mm-hmm. Begin at home, which is funding your retirement account and then move out from there. Get you some cash flowing real estate in there, whether you're actually physically owning the property yourself or maybe you're into REITs and things of that nature to di- diversify the portfolio. So listeners may have never heard of what a REIT is. Uh, tell us about what a REIT is. It's a real estate investment trust. And the great thing about them is, is that they're required to pay dividends. As a matter of fact, to maintain their tax status, they have to give a large percentage of the money that comes in has to come back to the stockholders in the form of dividends. 
And also there are some tax um, tax incentives. Oh, by the way, I am not a tax professional. And you have the ability to bring some tax incentives for owning real estate in, in because you're part of the REIT. So, and one thing, as I said, the big thing is just the dividends that they pay because they have to, by law, to maintain a REIT, they have to put a large portion of the money they bring in, a certain portion of it has to go back out in dividends. And what kind of real estate do they invest in? Well, REITs, all types of real estate. You can find REITs that specialize in, they can get as niche as nursing homes on the East Coast. They can be regional. Um, they can be in residential housing across the country, or again, they can be residential housing in the state of New York. So there, there are literally thousands of REITs out there. And there are websites devoted to REITs mm-hmm. that you can go in and take a look. So as I said, you can have REITs that specialize in healthcare, specialize in construction. So all this real estate that is real estate, multifamily, those sort of things. And um, can you purchase REITs on the stock market? Yes, they're traded. So th- that so you have the protections that are built in with the SEC. So you get perspectives and things of that nature. So there's much transparency as, as legally required. Real estate investment trusts, their REITs. Right, REITs. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's always good to learn something new on every episode, I find. Oh, yeah. You know, REITs are pretty cool. I think these days getting started in investing has become a lot easier because the barriers to entry are now have been lowered. You can actually start investing with $5 now, can't you? Right, right. Mm. And more, more places are doing that. Uh, the major brokerage houses are now getting into fractional shares, uh, like Charles Schwab is one. And how does that work? And um, would you suggest Gen Xs and women sort of start um, using this as a way of learning? Sure, because once you buy something, you watch it, you start reading about it. You put a little ticker on your computer, Yahoo Finance is an easy one to set up, and you buy something you know. Okay, so here in Texas, it's Exxon. <laughs> uh, I, I remember I, I got into Exxon during the uh, the pandemic because it got really cheap and they always pay dividends. They're an energy company, not just an oil company. They do solar panels too. So by you can dollar cost average through a brokerage, uh, Schwab is an example, and you can set up like dividend reinvestment where the dividends go right back in. They're called drips. And then, cause when you're on the stock, you start receiving a prospectus. And again, when you, when you buy in, you start learning about what you're buying into. And you, you get an idea, okay, hey, this is cool. I like this sector. But you have to set aside time and have the interest to, to focus on the money. What, what does it mean? What is it about dividends that you like so much? They're regular. They come in. They're money. And over time, if you dollar cost average and then you dividend reinvest, it's not quick money, but it's money. It's real money. It's there. And when something does happen and something will happen where you need money, it's there. It's putting the money to work. It's those dollars that you have in excess and they make other dollars because you, your dollars have to do that because you can't just, not only can you not save your way to wealth, you can't even save your way to safety. And by the things I've read and what the governments, the world governments are talking about doing, the governments of various countries, this inflation thing, they may slow it down, but getting back to those Halcyon days of like, you know, that 2%, 
I don't think so, Phil. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Not for a long time. And um, this is where you need compounding, and this is what I've been seeing. And uh, I think a lot of people approach the stock market thinking, I want to make um, really quick gains really quickly and become rich and buy that Lamborghini. Whereas um, what you're suggesting with dollar cost averaging and reinvesting dividends, it will compound, but it takes a long time. Right. You have to have a long view. And that leads us back around to having a well-paid career. So where you're actually able to invest, to set money aside to invest. Because I know here in um, in Texas, we've just seen rents have just got are crazy now. Uh, and just particularly in just a short period of the pandemic, you know, we're, we're talking about 40 percent increases. You have to make a certain income where you are able to to invest and save. And then you have to put that money to work. What I'm amazed is that you're talking about how rents have exploded in um, mm-hmm. in Texas. It's the same here in Sydney. And mm-hmm. these economic forces that we all think are pretty local, they're affecting everyone. You know, I've heard the same things happening in England, for example, mm-hmm. as well, that rents are exploding. And it just seems to be the common reaction to the pandemic has meant that governments have just thrown money at it. They've mm-hmm. printed money. Central banks have printed money. We've now got inflation. And the, afflati- the inflation seems to be flowing through the economy in the same way everywhere. Yes. That's because they all decided to deal with the pandemic in the same way. That is the lockdown. I'm a fiscal conservative, so I certainly don't like when governments just send checks out. But you made everybody stay in the house. So you have to send me a check because you won't let me work. Well, you pumped so much money. It was crazy. You were, they were getting double unemployment checks. You were getting an unemployment check from the state. Then the federal government was sending you an extra 600 bucks because you actually had people making more money during the pandemic than when they, when they were going to work. Then you were handing out money to who, just whoever could fill out paperwork. If you could fog a mirror, the U.S. government was sending you money. They, if you were a business owner, if you were you drove an Uber, everybody got money. Well, you have to do that. Money has to do something. And so businesses were getting the money. The banks were getting the money. Then you make the reserve requirement down to zero. So you could so you were forcing the banks to put as much money out as possible. And that's what drove up the cost of real assets. Because remember, during the pandemic, the stock market was having a ball. Real assets went up in cost. So you, so stock is one real asset and real estate's another one. And so those costs went up. Money was cheap. Remember when the, because you remember you had a point where even watches were just crazy. The, the higher end watches, the Philippe Patek and so forth. And you couldn't find a Rolex. They were on back order. Too much money chasing too few goods, and that that pushed rent up. Used cars as well, you know, the, the price oh, right. of used cars right. went through the through the roof as right. well. Right, everything, yeah. and so, and now with the rents here, it's insane. The so it's so it's everywhere. So and now we're dealing with inflation, and, now, and um, right. <laughs> everyone's looking back and saying, "Well, maybe Milton Friedman was right." <laughs> right, and now with the what has happened with the banks, they want to back off. The, the central banks from raising the interest rates. So, okay, fella, is it, are, do you want to deal with inflation or are we trying to protect the banks because they've got, they've got stuff on their books that was once an asset that's now a liability with the, again, 
the rush to put the money into something. They bought all these treasuries. So I'm just sitting back, you know, watching. And the best I can tell folks is stay hydrated, exercise. Yep. Um, <laughs> get your <laughs> debt down. Because it's, it's crazy. I, I don't know what's coming next. Yeah. I'm yeah. just watching. Yeah, that's right. I've, I've noticed when... Um when I've been researching you, when I've been doing my deep dives into the Daphne Jones world, oh dear. that um, life insurance, you talk a lot about life insurance. And I know you're a recovering life insurance agent, mm-hmm. um, but you still counsel people to consider life insurance. Why is that? Oh, yeah. Everybody needs life insurance because bad things happen. What has happened is life insurance has become like this real sexy vehicle because it, it's pretty useful in, in building wealth, right? So there's things like the infinite banking, where you can be your own banker, the no tax retirement and things of this nature. But when I talk life insurance, and I, and I can do that, that other stuff is there. But when I talk life insurance, and I particularly talk when I talk to people who work, working people, and the, again, the majority of people are working people. In other words, they trade time for dollars. And if something happened to that position that they trade time for dollars to, it would be a problem. And that includes the folks that make the uh, the average of I think it's forty seven k to folks who make four hundred and seventy thousand dollars to the folks that make four point seven million they're still trading time for dollars and life insurance protects that this gives people options people you love and care about it gives them options when all of a sudden you're not there and that's important to have that protects the wealth that you did develop. Mm-hmm. That that's not wiped out simply because there was a traffic accident or or your heart gave out. You don't want the people that you care about to have to consume the hard work that you put in because you're not there anymore with the daily with the mulligan, with the paycheck. And that's important to understand about life insurance and to have it structured properly because it protects your wealth. It can add to it as you make more money and you can do certain things with it. But again, that's at a certain income level. And I think those programs going to get on my, my, my soapbox. Those programs are really aimed at individuals of a certain income level. And they're kind of being sold to folks who aren't at that income level. And it's like, nah, that's really not for you, buddy. At your income level, you don't have $1,500, $2,000 a month to put into a policy to make it do that sort of thing that you want it to do. But you do have 30 bucks a month to make sure your mortgage is paid off or that the kids, the kids 529 plans are funded if you're no longer here. In that answer, you mentioned infinite banking. What is infinite banking? Infinite banking is within a whole life insurance policy. The insurance company guarantees you a level of interest. When you pay into a life insurance policy, the premium, there's a portion of the premium that goes just to administrative of the policy. That, that's real. That's only a few dollars a month. Then the next level is actually what it costs to insure the individual to pay this death benefit. Uh, hence why 40-year-old men who smoke pay more than 25-year-old women who don't smoke. All right. Okay. So any amount that's paid over those two things, the administrative cost and the actual cost of the insurance goes into a fund and earns interest. You have the ability to what they call stuff the policy where you put in the maximum amount yearly 
to grow the policy. The uh, federal government controls the amount of money you can put into an in, into an insurance policy based on the size of the death benefit and your income level, so you don't run into tax problems. Because remember, all money that comes out of an insurance policy is tax free. That's how they shape it as a retirement vehicle. So you can use the money. So as the money grows within this thing, you can borrow that money because it's your money. You've already paid taxes on it. It's grown with this interest and you constantly put money into it. It's compounding as you branch it. So when you need money to do various things, like for instance, it can be used to help grow your business and you borrow the money from yourself. The idea is to pay the money back. You don't have to because it's your money, right? But the idea is to pay the money back and to even charge yourself interest. If you borrowed 20000 out of the policy, put back twenty five, so the money keeps growing. Because you can use it, you can actually take money out. That's infinite banking. And you can borrow against ins- life insurance policy. Good example is Walt Disney. It was Disneyland. It ran into some cash flow issues. And it was a new idea, and the banks weren't too crazy about loaning him the money. He used his life insurance policy to back bridge loans to finish Disneyland. And he did it a couple of times. He'd done it earlier in the company to pay his animators and so forth. He run into some cash flow problems. So that sort of thing. So the infinite banking is based in that. And that instead of you going to bankers outside when you want to buy equipment or whatever investment it is you want to make, you use the money from your life insurance policy. And so that's great. And it's up, but it's often presented to people who don't have that type of income. Because that, that, I was going to ask you about that, because is that part of what you were warning is that um, you ha- do have to be at a certain level of income for it to become f- more effective for you? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And people should watch exactly. out for sharks mm-hmm. coming and trying to sell it to them. Right. And the other, and it's also used as uh, life insurance can be used as a retirement vehicle where you can make these same loans from your policy when you reach retirement age, whether you choose 65, 70. Again, it's your money and it's not, it, these are not like governmental retirement plans that have uh, age rules and things of this nature on there. This is money that you put away. But those plans are, they involve mutual funds and other things to generate the level of interest that it takes for you to take this money out for those prolonged periods. Because remember, us Gen Xers, we're going to see 80 years old, God willing, in good shape. So we're going to be retired a long time. So again, the amount of money you have to put in over a long time period, not your average worker can't do that. They don't make the income to do that. You're a cloud engineer. Okay. You got a shot at it because of the amount of income you're bringing in. But the average, I think the average male in the U.S. is at 47,000. So if he's a father of of two, What I want to talk to him about, he may have heard about infinite banking, and that's what got him to hit my link. And for us to talk, I'm going to listen, get the information, but I'm really more concerned with getting him a policy in force that's going to be, that's going to have money for the folks that are going to take care of his kids if he doesn't make it home that evening. That's what's really important. And that getting that policy at a level, the premium level, where it's not going to be strenuous for him. It's going to be something he's going to take care of to understand this is what this policy is for and also be within his budget. Okay. Well, tell us about your podcasts and um, the other work that um, you undertake, Daphne. 
my podcast, I've got uh, I've got a strictly audio podcast. Well, there's a video component, but it was primarily audio. Grown women growing well. We've got about 75 episodes up. Had a great time doing it. My partner, Roberta Ravella, and I, she's a sales coach. And we were interviewing, again, women entrepreneurs, um, subject matter experts coming in, all about starting a business a little bit later and, and how to do so effectively, sales and marketing and things like that. And the big love of my life right now is uh, my YouTube channel, Smart Money Chick TV getting guests to come on and being able to give information about, again, life insurance, finance, tech. So we're working on um, looking at a webinar in a bit to talk about life insurance and to get some digital products out. So that's primarily what I'm doing now. Oh, and we talk about Bitcoin. And Bitcoin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hanging around out there. I had to figure out a way to bring it in. So Mm -hmm. it had its own channel and podcast for a bit. But um, I brought it back in house on the smart money chick. So okay, definitely, that's great. Well, look, I'll put links to all of this in the blog post, which we can share on our socials, and um, so people can find more about about yourself and uh, the work that you're doing. And I'm just amazed that you can even say chick anymore these days. <laughs> oh, hey, I, 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 held I love on saying to it. it. Yeah, yeah, I love saying it. The smart <laughs> money. Chick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can't. No, no. no it is. It's a chick. Because mm-hmm. I remember it was cool to be a chick, and I'm holding on to it. <laughs> so. Fantastic, Daphne. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, and thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Stocks for Beginners. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player, or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 